plotbubble.com. Hello, I'm Nick Knightley. Welcome to the Shizno for Red vs. Blues Season 15, Episode 20. We were very right. This week, the Reds and Blues beat Blues and Reds. Temple talks tough and Loco locates church. Listing Temple's other butchered quotes this week are... Dudes. A time machine in the hand is worth two in Caboose's shoulder. Aww. <laughs> Sam. Alright, I've been thinking. When life give you lemons, don't make lemonade. Make life take the lemons back! Get mad! I don't want your lemons! What am I supposed to do with these? I'll burn your UNSC down with the lemons! <laughs> Tyler. They say love is like a good memory. You gotta chase it down and never let go. I personally think this one's quite fitting considering he is an evil megalomaniac, which is it's better to light a candle than curse a flamethrower. <laughs> Kaden. When life gives you shit, make Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of fucking Kool-Aid did you have growing up? And Joe. As a great floating eye once said, my name is Mark Temple and you will fear my laser drill. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, Joe. And now our feature presentation. Let's go through thoughts on the episode. It was a good episode. It was really dark and I had to hold my breath. I <laughs> think Loco deserved better. Loco he did. deserved better. Loco. Yeah. Loco deserved better. I, I, oh, I was... Very important. We have to do it because Daft isn't here to do it. The Grimmins. <laughs> the Grimmins. <laughs> The Grimmins. The Grimmins are were... strong in this episode. By the way, Joe one-upped me. I made a comment last week that there would have been the ultimate reference, the ultimate callback. I don't remember what it was off the top of my head right now, but bringing back for a surprisingly plot-relevant gag of you ever wonder why we're here may have been the single greatest callback Joe Nicolosi did all season. It was awesome. It's great when they can take, ever wonder why they're here is kind of a tired gag, but when they can make it new again, it's great. It really is. At the Sarge Surge showdown and the Terminator 2 style arena with the that foundry was... and everything. That was funny. One of the things I really liked about this episode was humanity of the blues and reds that aren't Temple. Hmm. And you can tell Surge is having second thoughts and he's really trying hard to rationalize his decision to fight Sarge. I mean, we saw Sarge do the exact same thing when he turned traitor. He struggled yeah. with the fact that he betrayed his best friends because orders are orders and his complex required him to have an enemy. But it's just good that you have like the blues and reds being more than just Temple's crony. He could have done that. Like they could have written it that way and it would have been fine. I actually really liked the Simmons straight up going to knife Gene in the fucking neck. That was yes. fucking awesome. Simmons that was good. Badass. <laughs> Simmons is in love with your bullshit. Simmons is badass, a phrase I never thought I'd hear. I know, right? He does a lot of badass things that you don't think about, though. And he was holding his own against Gene. He was not looking like he was losing there. He and Griff were able to hold the meta for a bit. Yeah. Like, they yep. staved off the meta for Sarge to get back up. You can't say he doesn't do badass stuff. They literally fought 10 bears, man. <laughs> Simmons wasn't turned into a red because he was bad at the soldiering part of soldiering. He was turned into a red because he's a fucking annoying prick. He was turned into a red because he has test anxiety. Yeah, exactly. I also really liked how they did the counterpart fights, like Sergeant Surge, Simmons and Gene, and then Bucky and Tucker, which was the funniest fight. Because Vic's like, Sword, work. Sword, work. 
Hey, fuckhead. Punch. Only I get this to work. I like Simmons pointing out, sir, this will go really quick if we just all work together. No. Okay, you know what? I don't want to argue with you right now. He's just fun. done. All right, fucking whatever. See you later. Hey, I gave you the option. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I like that Loco and Caboose's showdown, quote unquote, wasn't actually a showdown. Just, I love you. Listen, Caboose has high charisma. We talked about this last week. Caboose has a maxed out charisma stat. He also has a maxed out strength stat. He does he too. Yeah. Bomb. Fucking min-max. Having Caboose do that fight with Loco really kind of makes for uh, moments, again, that goes into our discussion question later about the loser. But I really think that adds a lot to the episode. It was a very good way to see the characters in their growth and their parallels to their less than stellar counterparts i feel like that's really obvious then with tucker and bucky like bucky is tucker in season one they were the blood gulch chronicles versions of the characters and seeing yeah. basically their season five counterparts versus their season 15 counterparts after the meta after the director after chorus it's very startling and a stark contrast to who they once were i think that's funny because simmons hated gene so much you will use like looking at old middle school photos yourself like oh my god i have to burn this i'm actually really bummed that carolina wasn't in that scene because carolina yeah. never met alpha carolina interacted with epsilon and I honestly would pay good money to see Agent Carolina interact with the actual Alpha, who is a completely different character from Epsilon in Blood Gulch, as opposed to anything else where he's just foul-mouthed and angry and a fucking piece of shit. I kind of like that they did it that way, though, because Alpha is Caboose and Tucker's church. Epsilon was Carolina's church. She never met Alpha. That would be sort of like saying goodbye to somebody's twin brother. You lost the twin, so you say goodbye to their brother. Except instead of a twin, it's a copy of your father. With all the memories intact. It's the thing, it's like, I agree, I think it would have been really interesting to see Carolina interacting with Alpha, but, oh man, I'd feel really bad for putting her in that position. Because of the bonding she did with Epsilon? Yeah, and it's he he is in some ways very like Epsilon, at least outwardly. Well, Epsilon's like him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I feel like it would possibly make things worse. Were the blues and reds other than Temple actually evil or just in it for the camaraderie? I don't think they were evil at all. We saw the conflict in Surge as we discussed and that his whole MO was just orders are orders. I don't know how the reds in the blues and reds became stooges of the blues, given that Surge is very clearly a Blood Gulch Chronicles Sarge XP, who is very anti-blue. Gene, I can absolutely see it, just because he's a sniveling no-neck. Loco is, like Caboose, very desperate for that best friend. And Bucky is just sort of there, like Tucker kind of was there in seasons 1, 2, and 3. Until he got the sword and got his old little subplot. Tucker was just kind of there. And Lorenzo, I feel like he just got conscripted because nobody can understand him. Am I missing anyone? Cronut. I'm missing Cronut. We didn't Cronut, see Cronut. Cronut got blown up. He got tank punched to death. Yeah, Yay. tank exploded. Yay. Along yeah, but, with but Lorenzo. Sometime before them. Cronut could have been. Cronut could have been evil. He might have genuinely enjoyed it because evil is sexy and hot. I obviously think that the Reds and Blues have are more to them than just evil cronies. I think of them as depth characters, as foils for the Reds and Blues, which 
they were meant to be, but the Blues and Reds are more than just foils. They are equally as confused and lost after the fall of Project Blue Lancer as the Reds and Blues. The only difference is they didn't have a strong leader to push them. They didn't have a Wash or a Carolina to band them together. Or a noble cause like the fight for Chorus. Right, they don't have any of that. They have nothing. They had Temple... They had time and Temple's roaring rampage of revenge and nothing else. And I mean, at that point, what are you supposed to do? If your entire, you know, we'll say 10 years of your life, of your young adult life between your 20s and 30s is a lie. At that point, I also feel kind of like following the cultic leader of Temple. At these young ages, psychologically speaking, they're all vulnerable. They're all learning about themselves and about each other. And here you have this personality emerge, a strong personality and not a strong leader, but a strong personality emerge that says I can give you things that help. In the same way that Sarge needed a direction back in episode 5 of this season, the war's over, now what do I do? Temple gave that to the Blues and Reds. The only difference is that Temple's a fucking nut job. Oh yeah, he went full Felix in this episode. As to the question of whether the Blues and Reds are evil or just going along, I would say that the two are not mutually exclusive. Temple is the only person who has an emotional stake in this fight beyond the UNSC made us fight in a fake war rather than a real war. That's not much of a stake. What Temple has is he lost his best friend, so he is pushing this. But at a certain point, when the Blues and Reds are going along with it, they are just as guilty as Temple. In the same way that when two people are in cahoots and commit a murder, one typically says, the other made me do it. It was their idea. I'm innocent. Well, no, you're not innocent. You might have been innocent at the beginning, but you are now complicit. Begin lightning round. Did Sarge kill Surge on purpose, but cover it up as an accident? There's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. The thought is, if he's a good soldier, he'll find his balance. Eh, eh, look at that. Not a good soldier. Oh well. (laughs) (laughs) So so sad, too bad. <laughs> it was a complete accident, but he will absolutely claim he did it intentionally after a heroic, intense battle where they fought like <laughs> men and also like bears. <laughs> I just want someone to go, We fought like men and like bears! Big, hulking bears! <laughs> I don't think he killed Surge on purpose, but he also does not regret it. <laughs> no regrets. He, he kills him and goes, oh, fiddlesticks. Oh, well. <laughs> He's fine with, with his life and his choices. I mean, that's Sarge. He has no regret. I think the more important question is how many honey-baked ham jokes did he make as Surge went down? Smells <laughs> oh. <laughs> like mama's brisket. If Sarge wanted to kill Surge, he would not have given him a chance. He wanted to try and turn him with the honor schmoner thing. And I found it neat that Sarge's point is Surge stopped telling the difference between red and blue, and now he's following a dirty blue, and that's what's making him evil. And then, of course, I actually do think he did it on purpose after doing a show of trying to save him. Absolutely. Uh, so that anyone watching would feel Sarge is a good man, but in reality, Sarge is a cold-blooded killer. In what other ways is Doc horribly underqualified to treat Carolina? So we, we know that Carolina at this point is probably still incredibly dehydrated. You, you'd think a medic would carry around, like, water or, you know, uh, liquid to help rehydrate people. It's actually just vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Doc. That's how I want to go. The correct answer is every way. Next question. <laughs> yeah. Doc doesn't have a medical license. 
Also, Doc explicitly stated that he doesn't have a medical license. He also said that his healing, that his medical device was actually an alien gun. Uh, here's how I see this gun. Don't worry, Caroline, I got this. I'm a doctor. Well, to be fair, I never went to medical school. I just read a medical textbook. Actually, it wasn't even a medical textbook. It was just a pamphlet on how to balance people's humors. <laughs> we just gotta bleed you out a little bit. It'll be fine. <laughs> Carolina eventually says, screw it, and just, like, treats the cell. I cannot imagine Carolina not knowing basic field medical work. Yeah, I feel like Carolina is definitely a better field medic than Doc. Now, I feel like Carolina's version of field medic is get your bitch ass up and power through it. Yup. Yeah. yeah. Still more effective than Doc. Give me some fabric to make a tourniquet, and I will stand up and take a drink of that vodka, and I will go. What would Griff have used to ascertain the other reds and blues from their evil doppelgangers? Uh, he just looks at Sergeant and goes, What are and literally any of your emergency backup plans call for? Shoot, Griff. I, I think jumping off of that, mine would have been something along the lines of, Hey, hey, um... Uh... Hey, Sarge, where'd you park the puma? Ah, uh, that's a good one. Sarge would go like, what the same hell is a puma? And Sarge would go, I told you not to name it any more mythical creatures, you dumb <laughs> motherfucker. He would offer Tucker a sniper rifle. Ooh. I feel like Griff would end up asking Tucker an awkward question about his sister. <laughs> it's very oh, uncomfortable God. for Ugh. everyone involved. Griff would definitely say something about how well he did do this. He said I wasn't hungry or something along the lines like that. But go, but but continuing that trend, he would volunteer to do extra work and help. For example, the Gene Simmons thing, he'd be like, "Oh, definitely, I can definitely help you guys, you know, kill each other." And at that point, Simmons would go, "What the fuck are you talking about, Griff?" And then Gene would go, "Thanks, man," and then get immediately destroyed. The real Simmons would never pass up an opportunity to die. <laughs> For Tucker, he'd ask what his sister's name is. For Donut, he'd go, Donut, look, it's a spin class, and whichever one reacts fastest doesn't get shot. For <laughs> Lopez, he'd just say something in Spanish, because Lorenzo speaks Italian. Oh, that's smart. For that's Sarge, cool. code word dirtbag. Or alternate, just shotgun. And then lastly, Caboose versus Loco. Hey, Caboose, what's one plus one? What other cool moves has Gris botched? Example, swinging from the rope. Asking Simmons to marry him. Oh, That's not cool. That's sappy. He tried to do the cool Indiana Jones whip thing and, and disarm Temple and just ended up hitting himself in the face. Where did he get the whip? I don't know. Maybe it was really a snake. Griff wanted to impress Simmons by jumping over a shark, but he didn't really understand A, that uh, sharks need water, and B, he put a shark in the middle of Blood Gulch and lazily leaned a piece of balsa wood against it. So he just ended up driving at full speed on a motorcycle into a dead shark. <laughs> when he was making all the volleyball friends, he popped several volleyballs. No! So there's still no! volleyball corpses all over that planet now. Oh no! And by volleyball corpses, you mean deflated volleyballs. When he tried to take down the meta. <laughs> or any of his crash la lightning round complete. What are the reds and blues going to say to church circus season one? They're going to say, miss me, asshole. Then church will be confused and won't know to tackle them. <laughs> 
I imagine it's gonna be something more along the lines of everyone going, not this fucking shit again. I can't handle this. Griff just walks out of the room. Griff is like, I didn't come back for this. I didn't die for this. You didn't die at all. I know. <laughs> Church tries to come through the portal and Griff just pushes him back through. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Griff is so done with this blue team bullshit. The way the portal is set up, I don't think Church sees a portal. I think he sees everyone placed in the backdrop of Blood Gulch, since he's seeing them. If he were to step through, it might fuck with him for about three days. That's some impressive green screen shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're gonna say thank you and goodbye and just confuse the fuck out of Church. Church said goodbye to them. They never got to say goodbye to Church, so I think it will be a sort of one way. They get a sense of closure by saying goodbye to Church, but they're not gonna get hit reaction beyond what the fuck are you talking about church just gets an eternal sense of confusion and even worse it's alpha not epsilon yeah but they never got to say bye to alpha either they never got to say goodbye to alpha but alpha hated them alpha who thought he was a person hated them alpha who finally knew the truth that was epsilon alpha never once believed he was an ai his literal last line was i'll be fine because i'm a motherfucking ghost and then he died i always read that as him just having full confidence yeah he was full confidence because he didn't believe he was an ai for a goddamn second he's a ghost in the machine oh god thank you zalia okay did i knew we knew we ignored <laughs> zalia didn't he's my bro now no <laughs> It's going to be an awkward sense of closure for sure. Even if they thank him, even if they warn him. Alpha Church didn't give a shit what any of them said. They could have said, you're going to get shot by a tank. Don't stay up there. And he said, what the fuck are you talking about? No one's even got a goddamn tank in this fucking canyon. And then he would stay up there out of spite. I'm going to come up here all the fucking time. And then we have the classic RVB predestination paradox, where because someone from the future went to the past and said something, it caused the ad event to happen. The real church would never pass up an opportunity to die. Actually, Alpha would give anything to stay alive. Epsilon wouldn't give up an opportunity to die. The director accepted death with a quiet, depressed resignation after realizing the futility of his life. Futility of his life or the futility of his actions resting heavily on his daughter, the only person he should have been alive for. Both. Moving on. No matter what they say, even if it's just thank you and goodbye, Church is going to be incredibly dismissive and uncaring because to him, everyone in his shithole box canyon in the middle of fucking nowhere materialize in front of him, all standing around staring at him while they just say, goodbye, Church. That'd be pretty creepy from his end. That would be fever dream levels of creepy. Although it's not even the weirdest thing he has or is going to encounter. I'm just imagining a repeat of the season 12 meeting where Epsilon shows back up and Tucker just leaps towards him and tries to punch him. But a repeat of that, which ends up in an actual hug and Alpha being smashed to the ground and possibly knocked unconscious, after which everyone shuffles away awkwardly. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I think the Reds and Blues are going to not really want to say much at all. I think in general, they don't know how to process the emotions of seeing that person in their lives because Alpha Church is an abusive sack of shit. He's not a good person. He's not nice. He doesn't care about them. And a lot of the development of the group becoming friends comes after he's gone. They don't really like each other or even tolerate each other until after he's gone and he just feels like a toxic person in their lives. Having a reminder of that negative time in front of them is going to actually probably be very damaging them. Yeah, Caboose was the only one that liked Alpha. And I think even Caboose is going to have problems dealing with it. Their villains are dangerous physically, but emotionally and mentally, Alpha Church is the most dangerous. 
Is that too real? No, it's a very true statement. I just, I feel bad a little bit for Alpha because Alpha is literally the shell. He's a broken shell of a broken man. It can't really excuse his outwardly abrasive nature, but it explains it. Word of God is that the only emotion left in Alpha was hatred. It's sad that these sim troopers are forced to sit with such a toxic personality. It's so sad. And Red vs. Blue stops being a comedy and begins to be kind of a psychological tragedy when you imagine that the Alpha Church actually is the the broken remains of broke. If you take the broken director and break him down even further, you're left with this. And they just kept breaking him. He was like the giving tree to them. He gave and gave and gave until there was nothing left to give. And then they disposed of him. For the first six seasons, it's the Chronicles of Church's Downfall. Even because Omega is an aspect of Alpha, it is Church and the Reds and Blues fighting Church's demons. This could be a good opportunity for healing for the Alpha. Just all these people showing genuine kindness or a level of remorse, saying goodbye. He may not understand it, he might not accept it, but it's going to be good for him on some level. I think the big thing here is it's not. For Alpha. It's for Tucker and it's definitely for Caboose. How Alpha feels about it is kind of irrelevant at this point because it's them who needs closure. I think even though Alpha has treated the Reds and Blues like a pile of dog shit over the years, he himself is also a victim. Man, this got dark! It started pretty fucking dark. When you talk about the emotional tearing of a psyche, you're gonna get to the darker side of humanity. I do want to move on from this question because I think we're getting, we're getting a little dark. We also got really off topic there. What are they going to say? The psychological torture that Alpha endured throughout the entirety of Blood Gold Chronicles in its succeeding seasons. Isn't that a Cards Against Humanity card? Possibly. Yes. <laughs> Sam, that's honestly what's going to go through their head. They're going to think of everything that happened just being like, uh, back out of the room, leave the area. No ability to register what's happening. Will the Reds and Blues be able to change the outcome of Blood Gulch to avoid this scenario and create a paradox? I think they might have to, because if, if what uh, the JPL guy, uh, Dr. Doolittle, if what he said was true, then the wormhole is probably already causing catastrophes all around Earth. It probably won't get to the black hole point yet, but I'm sure that there have already been innumerable deaths from activating the drill. So I think they're going to have to do something to stop it. Time travel in fiction is fraught with problems and paradoxes, so I kind of hope they don't go that route because they've only got one more episode left, so tying it up would be a bit of a problem. But on the other hand, I do kind of like the idea of them getting thrown back to Blood Gulch and having to do everything and fast forward and, and trying to fix it and just being thwarted at every turn. I don't think that they actually will have to go back in time do all that mostly because of the way that joe has written the season if it were bernie writing this season yeah if it were miles yeah probably but joe has proven himself to be smarter than both and his writing ability and his ability to craft a story has shown that he uses tropes in ways that are expected he's doing deliberates with tropes bernie made a lot of effort into subverting tropes but he played them straight by trying to subvert them. Miles didn't even realize he was doing tropes half the time. If Miles <laughs> spent like 15 minutes on TV tropes, I feel like he would have done a lot better. I think if Miles had spent 15 minutes on TV tropes, those tropes would have been written in. That's also yeah. true. That's not the point, though. The point that I'm trying to make here is that they won't do it, not because 
the characters wouldn't do it. But because Joe is is focusing this entire season on development and pushing past the way that we see the characters. And as somebody who's been watching this series since Blood Gulch Chronicles, and in every point they have the opportunity to subvert the past. And up until this season, they've not subverted. So now we're given a time machine, right? The payoff is, in fact, it was a time machine. Everyone was like, oh, they're going to go back in time. They're going to do this, that, and the other thing. No, that would be too easy. It's harder and also better that Joe shows us a different side of the time travel narrative. That the Reds and Blues are given a different opportunity. Instead of being forced into a convoluted narrative that's, again, focused really on church. Because if they do decide to go back into Blood Gulch and try and change everything and make it better, who is it really benefiting? Church. It really only benefits church. And all of Earth that is currently dying. Fuck you, shut up! It only benefits (laughs) church. I think the only way to pull off time travel by avoiding it would be to find Biff and or Temple and somehow either save Biff or help Temple deal with his grief. I feel like it would happen that Biff would hear what would have happened and just punch Temple. I do not think that could be a happy reunion. Oh, probably not. If you could somehow heal, quote-unquote, Temple's grief post-Biff dying, then maybe Temple could have moved on. Yeah, no, that's good. Maybe that would have been Loco's original plan, but maybe Loco saw that Temple was too far gone and decided that he couldn't bear, he couldn't do that to himself, to Temple, to his new friends, friends and his brothers. However you want to, however you want to look at it, but Loco chose this specific interaction in time to open the portal, to, right? And what are they going to do with that? The, on again, on the more serious note, it's like the whole theme of the series has been moving forward and how do you get over the things in your past? You've had it with Carolina trying to move forward after losing Epsilon and her talk about you know what kind of soldier does she want to be now. And it's been about how do you cling to your past or do you move forward? And I feel like if they did go back in time, it would be kind of going, well, the entire rest of the series hasn't mattered because we've not learned anything from it. Yeah. Not in kind of a a preachy fable sort of way of this is the moral of the story, but they wouldn't have learned anything from the past 15 seasons either. It would just put them back. And especially with the parallels between them and the blues and reds, it would basically be saying, no, we are like them. We haven't changed at all. Neither the blues and reds nor the reds and blues have been able to move on. And the reds and blues have just gotten a very real look at what a failure to move on can do. It can, in this case, literally destroy the world. So they're dumb, but they better not be too dumb to see this lesson. I see two outcomes. I see them being sentimental enough to want to attempt to help Alpha, to help the pastel, but I also can tell that they know it's not something they should do. Like, Caboose himself just said he wanted to say goodbye. Caboose would, is definitely to hinge on whether or not they act or leave it be. Like, Caboose is the one who loves Church the most. Carolina will feel pity, and the Reds have no real way in for Church. They knew him the least. Caboose is the one who's going to decide whether or not they actively try and change Blood Gulch, and depending on what they try and change, it's going to make a paradox or not. The fate of the world rests with Caboose. Dear God. Well, considering what they change, the uh, time machine will not be made. Depending on what they change, this entire outcome could be non-existent. And again, I still have enough faith in Loco's ability that the 
JPL scientists who thought the entire thing was a toy, a prank, could never work. They couldn't even figure out how it worked until the computer crashed and came back. Loco probably has a built-in safety mechanism that is going to revert everything and set it back to normal. He probably made it a door that quickly shows you to pass, say hello, say your goodbyes, and then it does a rubber band thing and snaps you back to right before using it. And everyone looks around and goes, what the fuck with that? And then they jump temple. I have full faith in Loco's ability to build a functioning machine out of toys. What I don't have full faith is, is Caboose's emotional well-being as seeing the person he called his best friend that he went through all this shit for, that he tried to rebuild in Epsilon, his reaction to that is going to hinge on what happens. I do believe Caboose has matured. One thing that surprised me a lot in episode 16, I believe it was, was when Caboose found out that Church's message was a hoax. His lamentation was not that Church isn't really still alive. But just, he never got to say goodbye. He never got to make sure that Church knew how much he mattered. So I think there is a degree of emotional maturity there. Thanks go out to Dukes, Sam, Tyler, Zalia, Caden, and Joe. The Shizno is a production of Plot Bubble. You can support The Shizno on Patreon at patreon.com slash plotbubble. You can follow The Shizno on Tumblr at shizno.tumblr.com. The Shizno. Please keep your arms and legs inside the timeline at all, uh... Times. As, 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 We'll work on it on the break. <laughs> I'm just imagining Cronut now with leather pants over his armor. Zalia, he's got the dress with the thigh slit. It's no, all, it's all black with pink accents. He's still got the helmet on, but it's got a low cut. <laughs> it's low cut. I need fan art of this literally tomorrow. Like, no. picture, right. picture any femme fatale from James Bond and put Cronut's helmet on it and remove the cleavage. And that's what I picture Cronut doing for the... What do you mean remove I, the cleavage? Yeah, I say Add leave. more. Oh, I'm leave sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was wrong. You take, that, you take the dress and you have to put it on a fursuit because Cronut's a furry. Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you for that reminder. So it'd be oh, that on a God. sexy fursuit. No, no, Whatever no, no. He's, qualifies he's as a sexy fursuit. Dress? And a fursuit head on top of the helmet. Hmm. It just Does tapes anyone else cat ears find to the that helmet. They need some brain bleach right now. No. <laughs> just don't sleep just and you. you'll forget life ever happened. I don't know what time is anymore. <laughs> I if you honestly think Sarge has ever maintained his weapon. Absolutely. I do because he loves it <laughs> he so much. He doesn't sleep at night. He just cleans he, his shotgun. What the shotgun. fuck do you mean? No, no, no Simmons no, maintains no, the weapon. No, 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 <laughs> no. Yes. You dumb motherfucker! He polishes the fuck out of that gun. He maintains it. It is clean. I will fight you. Sally, I'm afraid you need five minutes of quiet time. <laughs> you don't get to do that. I don't think you're in any fucking position to tell me what to do. I am actually in a position to tell you what to do because I'm posting. Yeah, but I don't respect that. <laughs> I don't respect any authority that would limit my power. Tyler respects me. <laughs> Tyler has on multiple occasions said she has unquestionable, unshakable loyalty and will do what I tell her. <laughs> That's yeah. concerning. Both. Both is good. No, I would not say good. It's a quote, Tyler. I know it's a quote. Are you sure? Tyler? Yeah. What movie is the quote from? It's... <laughs> the Road to El Dorado. <laughs> that took you too long. I watched it recently, too. <laughs> Tyler! 
I thought the sixth sense for some reason. The sixth sense. I don't know why, Samuel Moving Jack. On. Moving on. I'm Tyler. You're not gonna have a conversation about that later. Moving on. Church, church, church of the blood ghost guy. They want to thank. Watch out for that tank. <laughs> <laughs> I was almost gonna say that's definitely getting cut, but then you saved it with the rhyme.